Section 13 of Five Years of My Life, 1894-1899. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Five Years of My Life, 1894-1899 by Alfred Dreyfus. Translated from the French. Section 13, Devil's Island, November 1897 to September 1898. I answered these letters. Ill du Salut, November 4th, 1897. Your letters breathe such an air of confidence that they have brought serenity to my heart, tortured so often for you and our dear children. You tell me, poor darling, not to think, not to try to understand, oh try to understand i have never done that it is impossible but how can i stop my thoughts all that i can do is as i have told you to try to wait patiently for the supreme day of the triumph of truth during the past months i have poured out my overburdened heart to you in many letters what would you for three years i have seen myself the plaything of agencies which are entirely unknown to me but I have never deviated from the absolute rule of conduct that I imposed upon myself, that my conscience as a loyal soldier devoted to his country imposed upon me. In spite of oneself, however, bitterness will mount from the heart to the lips, anger will take one by the throat and make him cry out in pain. Formerly I swore never to speak of myself, to close my eyes to everything, because for me, as for you, for us all, there can be but one real consolation, that of truth, of unshrouded light. But while my too long sufferings, the appalling situation, the climate which alone is enough to set the brain on fire, while all things combined have not made me forget a single one of my duties, they have ended by leaving me in a state of nervous prostration that is terrible. I understand thoroughly, too, my darling, that you cannot give me details. In affairs like this, where grave interests are at stake, silence is obligatory. I chatter on to you, though I have nothing to tell you, but it does me good. It rests my heart and relaxes the tension of my nerves. Truly, my heart is often pierced with grief when I think of you and of our children, and then I ask myself, what I can have done on this earth that those whom I love the most, those for whom I would give my blood drop by drop, should be tried by such awful martyrdom. But even when the brimming cup overflows, the thought of you and the children, that thought which makes all my being vibrate and exalts it to the greatest heights, gives me the power to rise from the depths of despair. I have expressed my resolution plainly to you, because I know it is your own, and that nothing has ever been able to overcome it. It is this feeling, together with the remembrance of my duties, that has enabled me to live. It is this feeling also that has made me ask once more, from all of you, every cooperation and a stronger effort than ever toward a simple work of justice and reparation, leaving all personal feeling and all passion behind. May I tell you once more of my affection? 
it is needless for you know it well but i cannot help speaking of it now for the other day i reread all your letters in order that i might pass some of the endless minutes near a loving heart and a great feeling of wonder arose in me at your dignity and courage if the trial found in great misfortunes is the touchstone of noble souls then oh my darling yours is one of the noblest souls of which it is possible to dream alfred the month of november and then the month of december eighteen ninety seven passed without letters at last on the ninth of january eighteen ninety eight after this harassing delay there came altogether my mail of october and november from which i extract the following passages paris october sixth eighteen ninety seven my last letter did not succeed i fear in expressing in its fullness the absolute confidence we all have which has grown steadily stronger since then in the return of our happiness i should like to tell you of the joy i feel at seeing the horizon clearing and at having a glimpse of the end of our sufferings i feel myself wholly incapable of making you share my feelings since for you poor exiled one to the distress of waiting there is always added ignorance of all that we are doing vague sentences the stringing together of words give you little more than the assurance of our deep affection and our oft-renewed promise that we shall succeed in restoring you if like me you could understand the progress we have made and the distance we have traversed through the depths of darkness toward the full light how brightened and consoled you would feel it breaks my heart not to be able to tell you all that moves me so deeply and gives me such hope i suffer from the knowledge that you are undergoing a martyrdom which though it must be prolonged physically until the error is officially recognized is at least morally useless and that you are passing through alternations of anguish and hope that might be spared you even while i feel more reassured and tranquil paris november seventeenth eighteen ninety seven i am uneasy at having no letter from you your last dated the fourth of september reached me in the first days of october and since then i have been absolutely without news of you i have never spent myself in complaints and surely i shall not begin now yet god knows i have suffered remaining for weeks and weeks in the maddening distress which a total lack of word from you has caused me i persuade myself from day to day that my torments are about to cease that i am to be reassured so far as i can be while you are suffering but hope on with all your strength how can i tell you of my faith in the outcome and yet stay within the limits permitted to me it is difficult and i can only pledge you my word that within a time very very near your name shall be cleared ah if i could speak to you openly and tell you all the shifting and unexpected scenes of this frightful drama when this letter arrives in guiana i hope you will have received the good news for which your soul has been waiting these three long years lucy when these letters belated as always reached me in january eighteen ninety eight not only had i not received the good news which they foreshadowed but vexations had redoubled in intensity 
and the surveillance was still more rigorous. From ten guards, the number had been increased to thirteen. Sentinels had been placed around my hut. The breath of fear and suspicion compassed me about. I felt it in the attitude of my jailers. It was at this time that a tower was built higher than the guards' barracks, and on its platform a Hotchkiss gun was placed so as to command the approaches to the island. Because of these things, I addressed again to the President of the Republic and the members of the government the same appeals I had made before. In the early days of February 1898, there arrived two letters from my wife, dated December 4, 1897, and December 26, 1897. These were partial copies of her originals. I have since learned that my wife had, in discreet terms, given me to understand in her letters of August and September that a leading member of the Senate had taken my cause in hand. This information, of course, was suppressed, and I learned only on my return to France in 1899 of the courageous initiative taken by Monsieur Schurer Kestner, and not until then did I learn of the events which were taking place in France at the time of this letter. One of the extracts given me in a copy from my wife's letter of December 4, 1897, caused me deep sorrow by its pathos. I have received two letters from you, although you say nothing to me of your sufferings, and these letters, like the others, are filled with dignity and courage, I have felt your grief so acutely through them that I must try to bring you some comfort, to let you hear a few words of affection from my loving heart, whose tenderness and attachment are, as you know, as deep as they are unchangeable. But how many days have passed since you wrote those letters, and how much time must still go by until these lines come to remind you that day and night my thoughts are with you, and that during every hour and every minute of your long torture my soul and heart and all that feels in me thrills in unison with you. I am the echo of your cruel sufferings, and would give my life to shorten your torture. If you knew what sorrow I feel at not being there near you, and with what joy I would have accepted the harshest and bitterest life to share your exile, to surround you with my affection, and heal your wounds as best I might. But it is written that we should not have even the consolation of suffering together, that we should drain apart to the last drop our cup of bitterness. Then followed the old, oft-repeated shadowings of hope. In reply to this letter, I wrote my wife, Ile de Salut, February 7, 1898. I have just received your dear letters of December, and my heart is breaking, rent by the consciousness of so much unmerited suffering. For the last three months, in fever and delirium, suffering martyrdom night and day for you and our children, I have addressed appeal on appeal to the chief magistrate of the state, to the government, to those who caused me to be condemned, to the end that I may obtain justice after all my torment, an end to our terrible martyrdom, and I have not been answered. Today I am reiterating with still more energy, if that could be, my former appeals to the chief magistrate of the state and to the government, for you must no longer be subjected to such martyrdom, 
our children must not grow up dishonored i can no longer suffer in a black hole for an abominable crime that i did not commit and now i am waiting i expect each day to hear that the light of truth is to shine for us at last alfred in the course of the month of february the rigorous measures were increasingly emphasized and as i had received no reply to my previous appeals to the chief magistrate of the state and to the members of the government i addressed the following letter to the president of the chamber of deputies and to the deputies ill to salute february twenty eighth eighteen ninety eight monsieur le president de la chambre de députés messieurs le député from the day after my condemnation more than three years ago when commandant du Paty de clem came after i had been sentenced for an abominable crime i had not committed to ask me in the name of the minister of war whether i was innocent or guilty i have declared not only that am i innocent but that i demand the fullest light on the matter i also beg to have investigations made through all the customary channels either through the military attaches or from any other sources open to the government reply was then made to me that higher interest than my own prevented the use of the customary means of investigation owing to the origin of this gloomy and tragical affair of the bordereau but that inquiries would be pushed steadily i have waited for three years in the most frightful situation imaginable humiliated and harassed continually and without cause and these researches come to nothing if therefore interests higher than my own have prevented must always prevent the use of the only means of investigation which can finally put an end to the martyrdom of so many human beings and which alone can fully illuminate this matter these same interests surely cannot demand that an innocent wife and children should be sacrificed to them this would be a return to the darkest ages of history when truth was stifled and light was smothered several months ago i appealed to the high sense of justice of the cabinet ministers representing to them the undeserved horror of the situation i now appeal to the deputies begging of them justice for me and mine the whole life of my children hangs in the balance the same letter written in identical words was addressed at the same date to the president and members of the senate these appeals were renewed shortly afterward monsieur Meline, premier suppressed these letters they never reached their destination and these letters reached france at the very moment when the author of the crime was glorified while i ignorant of all events passing there was chained to my rock multiplying appeals crying aloud my innocence to the closed ears of those who were sworn to seek out the truth and uphold the right in march i received my wife's letters of the beginning of january always expressing in vague words the same hope but never clearly explaining the basis of that hope then in april there was complete silence the letters lucy sent me in the last days of january and february eighteen ninety eight never reached me as to the letters which i wrote from this time on to my wife she never received the originals 
and we have only mutilated copies of them. Here are a few extracts from the fragmentary copies of my wife's letters received after this period of silence. Paris, March 6th, 1898. Although my letters are very commonplace and desperately monotonous, I cannot help coming to you. You see, there are moments when my heart is so swollen, when your sufferings re-echo in my soul with such force, so piercingly, that I can no longer control myself. The separation weighs too heavily on me. It is too cruel. In an outburst of my whole being, I stretch out my arms to you. With a supreme effort I seek to reach you. Then I believe myself to be near you. I speak softly of hope. All too soon I am awakened from my dream and brought back sharply to reality by a child's voice, by some noise from without. Then I find myself again isolated, sad, face to face with my thoughts, with your sufferings. How unhappy you must have been deprived of all news, as you wrote in your letter of the 6th of January. Never forget, when you receive no letters from me, that I am with you in thought, that I abandon you neither night nor day, and that, though words cannot give you the expressions of the depths of my love, no obstacle can stand in the way of the union of our hearts and thoughts. Paris, April 7th, 1898. I have just received your letter of the 5th of March. Its news is comparatively recent to us who are accustomed to suffer so much from the irregularity of the mails, and I had an agreeable surprise at seeing so late a date. How misfortunes change one! With that resignation we learn to accept the seemingly unendurable. When I say that I accept with resignation, it is not the exact truth. I do not recriminate, because until your full innocence is recognized, I must live as I do. But in the depths of my being there is revolt and wrath, and the emotions which have been suppressed during these long years of waiting overflow. Paris, June 5, 1898. Here I am again leaning on my table, lost in my sad thoughts. I have just written you, and... As happens to me twenty times a day, I lose myself in long reveries. I run to you thus every moment. It is a relaxation to escape from myself, and let my thought join my heart, which is always with you in your far-off exile. I visit you often, so often, and since I have not yet been allowed to go and join you, I bring you all that is myself, my spiritual personality, my thought, and will and energy, and, above all, my love, all intangible things which no human power can control. Paris, July 25, 1898. When the burden of life becomes too heavy to endure, I turn from the present, call up my happier memories, and find new strength to keep up the struggle. Lucy. This was her only July letter that reached me. After that time, the original letters were again given to me. My days passed in extreme impatience, since I understood nothing of what was going on concerning me. As to the appeals I had addressed to the chief magistrate of the Republic, the answer invariably made me was, Your appeals have been transmitted to the members of the government through the constitutional channels. There was nothing more 
and I kept waiting always for the outcome of my demand for a revision of my trial. I was of necessity absolutely ignorant of the new law on revision, which dates from 1895, that is, from a time when I was already in captivity. A request to have a telegraphic correspondence code was refused. In the month of August, 1898, I wrote my wife. Although I sent you two long letters by the last mail, I will not allow this one to go without sending you an echo of my boundless affection, without repeating to you the words that are to sustain your invincible courage. The clear consciousness of our duty must make us strong to endure. Terrible as our destiny may be, we must brace our souls to wrestle with fate until it bends to us. The words I have for so long been saying to you over and over again are and remain unchangeable. My honor is my own. It is the patrimony of our children, and it must be restored to them. I have demanded it back from my country. I can only hope that our martyrdom may at last end. In my former letters I spoke at length of our children, and of their sensitiveness, of which you complained, although I am sure you are bringing up the dear little ones admirably. Sensibility, that which responds to the promptings of mind and heart, is the mainspring of education. What hold can one have on an indolent or insensible nature? We must act by moral influence, as well for the direction as for the development of the intelligence and such influence can be exercised only over a sensitive being. I am not a partisan of corporal punishment, although it may sometimes be necessary for children of rebellious nature. A soul led by fear always remains enfeebled. A sad countenance and severe manner are sufficient to make a sensitive child comprehend his fault. It always does me good to come to you and talk of our children, who in happiness were the subject of our familiar conversations, and are now our chief reason for living. If I listened only to my heart, I should write you oftener, for it seems to me in this way, I know it is the merest delusion, but it comforts me, that at the same time and minute you may feel across the space which separates us, the beating of a heart that lives only for you and our children, a heart that loves you, but above everything else rises the worship of honor. We must detach ourselves from our internal suffering. Oppression and injustice arise from causes outside of ourselves, beyond our control. But our honor is our own, the patrimony of our children and their future. Courageously and tirelessly, without impatience but also without weakness, we must strive to preserve it unspotted. Alfred at the same time, I asked by letter and telegram whether by this time some measures had been taken in response to my requests for revision, to which I had always received the same non-committal reply, your appeal to the President of the Republic has been forwarded through the channels provided by the Constitution to the members of the government. But silence, silence was the only answer I obtained driven to attempt to obtain a reply by the use of extreme measures, I made the declaration in September 1898 that I should cease my correspondence 
until I had an answer to my demands for revision. This declaration was inexactly transmitted by cable to my wife, and it will be seen later on to what complications it gave rise. End of section 13